0: This week on the Defense Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the built-in advantage in the military's retention fight.
1: They can give them mission, they can give them tasks, they can give them the skills that keep the young men and women interested and excited and passionate about what they do.
0: And a digital resource for the entire Patagon.
2: To The extent that they are building and creating software, we want to lend our cybersecurity experts and um, both in the, you know, the assessment of those products and the remediation and the auditing of those products.
0: It's Wednesday, June 1st, 2022. Welcome to the debut episode of the Defense Scoop podcast. Every week you'll learn what's going on in defense technology across the department. I'm the host of the Defense Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. With this being the first episode of this program, a look at what you can expect from the Defense Scoop podcast and from Defense Scoop itself. For that, my colleague, the editor in chief of FedScoop and Defense Scoop, Billy Mitchell. Billy, welcome. What's the strategy behind Defense Scoop and what you intend for this publication as a whole to begin with?
3: Well, Francis, we're we're first off very excited about this. Uh, it's something that's been in the works for a while. We've wanted to do this for a number of years. Uh, over the history of Scoop News Group and Fed Scoop, we've we've always sort of covered defense as part of the larger federal government, and it's always been a big portion of what we've done. We've built a lot of community around it, uh, but I feel like we've really only touched the surface. Um, and and you don't have to tell this community that things have changed a lot in in recent years in the defense space. Uh, we've kind of ended some wars and and have kind of looked in a different direction as near-peer adversaries have sort of developed. And that comes with it, a a host of new opportunities and challenges for the defense space, namely in using technology as a driver for the future of defense in war. Um, So as we're seeing in Ukraine and as we're looking to those near-peer adversaries like China and Russia, uh, tech is going to play a big role in this. So uh, as we've covered it, you know, we've, we've covered the topics like JEDI, CMMC, JADC2, but again, only from that IT perspective and there's a lot more to it. So this is our opportunity to double down on the defense space and really widen our breadth of coverage and look into some new arenas, because it is so Im- important that the, the, the fusion of data sensors and things like that into the future of war, it, it's not going to be possible to fight wars like we did in Afghanistan and
1: Iraq.
0: The future of the Defense Department technologically is kind of the feature conversation on the de- debut episode of this program. Later in the program, uh, your conversation with the Director of Digital Services in the office of the CDAO now uh, in the Department of Defense. She was Katie Olson. Now she's Katie Savage. Broadly, I don't want you to play by play the conversation we're about to hear later in the show, but broadly, what do you take away from that transition and some of the other transitions that are going on that you think? Defense Scoop as a whole and the Defense Scoop podcast in particular can shed light on for people. So I think we're seeing over time, you saw the
3: evolution of the Jake and some of these other roles within the Department of Defense. It's the CDO office, the Defense Digital Services has been around for about five years, and and you'll hear in that conversation that that's transitioned a little bit under Katie, but. all these things are integral and also um, play off of one, each, one another. They're sort of interoperable, and you can't do one without uh, without the other. But um, more than anything, the Department of Defense and and really uh, Deputy Secretary Kathleen Hicks is is very focused on creating this space for these pieces of the puzzle to work together and, and elevating that up the food chain within the Department of Defense. So the CDAO is going to house all of those different elements um, and has brought in a new leadership that is is really excited about making AI an integral um, and very top priority within department.
0: A lot to cover in the coming weeks, months, and years. And I'm very excited to be a part of it, Billy, as, ho- as I host the Defense Scoop podcast. Thanks very much. Thank you. The Secretary of the Navy Carlos del Toro and the Chief of Naval Operations Admiral Michael Gilday both tell Congress the Navy needs more investment in shipbuilding. It's just one element of the service's budget that leaders inside and outside the service say needs a boost. Rear Admiral Sinclair Harris, U.S. Navy retired, is National Vice President of the Navy League of the United States and President of the National Naval Officers Association. Sink, welcome. It's great to talk to you again. You said recently the budget that the Navy receives and that the sea services receive broadly should reflect reality. What's that mean in your view, Sink? Welcome.
1: Hey, hey, thanks, uh, Francis, always great to be with you. And and, and let me start by saying I'm not bashing the other military services. We have the world's greatest army for a reason, and it needs to be funded. Uh, My mother was in Women's Army Corps, for goodness sakes. I'm not bashing the Air Force. Uh, My favorite uncle was in there. And I have a Tuskegee Airman who was an uncle of mine as well. But what I'm saying is this is that our nation, our world lives in a maritime, air, space, and cyber century, that that is where the conflict is happening now and will happen. And there's nothing that I have heard, read, or believe uh, that shows that we're gonna be marching to any <laughs> any nation, especially a large or, com- or a peer competitor and, and seeking regime change. So if that's the case, then shouldn't the monies that we have in our defense department be allocated strategically to address the threats and the problems that we have now into the near future? And oh, by the way, I wish I wish that ships were cheap. I wish the sailors were cheap, but they're not. And and we and, and we need to apply the funds strategically to address the real challenges that our nation and our world faces
0: in 2022 sync and in 2025 and 2030 and 2040 and so on what's a sea services role and responsibility and mission in space and in the cyber domain in your view
1: so you know my favorite sailor is my uh, second class petty officer nephew uh stationed out in bahrain for his second can tour in Bahrain, third tour overall. He's a cyber uh, type of guy, and it's folks like him uh, that are operating and defending our nation in cyberspace, both offensively and defensively. And no, he has not told me what he does because he had to kill me. You know, it's one of those things. <laughs> he's but, a great um, sailor. He's a great sailor. But the, the 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 work that the Navy and the Navy and the Air Force, I believe, are more dependent. On space than anybody else in terms of all of our operations, ships uh, still operate at sea and on the move. Okay, most of cyber is underneath the water and will continue to be for who knows how long. Uh, so what happens? And 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 last thing is, hey, look, the world is wet and getting wetter. Uh, sea level rise is real. So. What happens at sea, what happens in the littorals, what happens with all the sea services is completely dependent on space and on cyber uh, as we evolve into more unmanned or lightly manned or however you wanna call it, uh, systems uh, that uh, we need to make sure are secure and able to operate in the cyber domain. And we need to be able to protect ourselves and defend ourselves and work with our allies in the cyber domain and space domain.
0: You reminded me before this uh, conversation began, before I turned the recorder on that uh, a maritime air and cyber defense system doesn't just involve the Navy, the coast guard's a component there too. The landscape is a lot broader than a lot of people think it is. Isn't it Sink?
1: It, it, it's pervasive. It touches everything that we do say here. I mean, think about it in the past think about when you and I were growing up and how many ways uh, that uh, we were influenced or how many ways that we communicated or how many things were automated. And think about today, you know, uh, you know, God forbid if you take your cell phone away from one of your teenagers, you know, (laughs) you're going to have a riot. Okay. Uh, So it's, 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 it is omnipresent and growing and it will continue to grow. Uh, as as we move forward as a nation.
0: You talked about your nephew a moment ago very passionately, and I love that. And I wonder what we need to do, maybe that we're not doing or not doing enough of, to build those sailors and to build those Marines and to build those Guardsmen and so on that we need throughout the sea services to be cyber professionals and to be space professionals in the environments that we're gonna need them to operate in, as I said, in 2030 and 2040 and beyond. Because we need to start doing that work today, don't we, Singh?
1: Well, we have been doing that work. And, and again, I'm, I'm gonna tip my hat to uh, Vice Admiral uh, Eschbach down in uh, Naval Information uh, Warfare. She leads that group. Um, and, and folks like uh, uh, 10th Fleet, and and the folks working for the Admiral up there uh, that we've been, and and all the services, we've been doing that for, for some time. Okay. And we need to continue in the training, the equipping, the education and the experience, the chance to work with industry and work outside of industry, uh, quite frankly, with all these professionals, because it does two things. It prepares them better for the fight that we're in and the fight that we see coming. It helps them to help us protect our supply chains, protect our infrastructure, protect you know our citizens. And the third thing it does is, uh, and I probably said two, but there are three things. Okay, (laughs) the third thing it does is it helps us retain them. Look, you know the navy, none of the services uh, can afford to pay like Amazon. or Google or any other Microsoft or any other fancy companies that do wonderful work. They can't, but they can give them mission. They can give them tasking. They can give them the skills that keep the young men and women interested and excited and passionate about what they do.
0: Sink, in addition to the credentials I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, one of the things that you're passionate about is the National Naval Officers Association. And you told me about an event that you're putting together. Well, not just you. You have a terrific team that you work with Uh, toward the end of July. It's it's a ridiculously incredible lineup. Um, Give you give it a plug so people can learn more about it, because I think I think it's something that uh, that people should know about.
1: Well, you know, uh, Francis, there are a few things I like talking about more than the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which I believe are force multipliers, not just in business, but also in our military. And I uh, I really appreciate the work that the Secretary of Defense, uh, CNO, Commandant, Navy, uh, Marine Corps and Coast Guard, and and others have, have lent toward pushing their this work forward so on uh, july 25th in annapolis at the western annapolis hotel the national naval officers association will celebrate its 50th leadership professional and development training symposium it's going to be a five-day event AND WE'VE GOT PEOPLE LIKE SECRETARY OF THE NAVY, DEL TORO, uh, WE'RE REQUESTING uh, SECRETARY OF HOMELAND SECURITY, MAYORKAS, uh, COMMANDANT Berger, CNO, Gilday, DAY, uh, COMMANDANT BY THAT TIME, FAGIN, uh, AND uh, ADMIRAL CECIL HANEY, ADMIRAL MICHELLE HOWARD, AND A HOST OF OTHERS COME IN TO uh, COLLABORATE, TO TALK, to learn, and to celebrate the work of increasing the diversity, inclusiveness of our sea services. And that includes the Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, NOAA, Public Health Service, and MARAD uh, in over the past 50 years.
0: Sink, we'll put a link to uh, tell folks more about that in the show notes today at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Uh, I'm I'm going to see if I can get out there and join you because it's just a really incredible lineup and I appreciate you coming on and talking about that and all the other things we covered today. Appreciate your time, Sink.
1: Hey, Francis, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks so much and thanks to James uh, for setting it up.
0: You can read more about the budget process for the services and Syncs event in today's show notes at defensescooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Defense Scoop podcast on next week's program, The Future of Technology in the Air Force. The department's chief information officer, Lauren Nausenberger, is on next week's Defense Scoop podcast. It debuts next Wednesday at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Office of the Chief Digital and Artificial Intelligence Officer is officially up and running in the Department of Defense. The CDAO office includes the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, the Defense Digital Service, and the Office of the Chief Data Officer. Katie Savage led the Defense Digital Service. She's now leading that component inside the CDAO office. She tells my defense Scoop colleague, Billy Mitchell, how the org chart looks moving forward and who does what.
2: DDS will now stand for Directorate of Digital Services. So we will be one of five pillars under the CDAO construct. There's acquisition, there's policy, digital services, which is us, um, warfighting capabilities, and enterprise capabilities. So DDS will continue to focus on rapid response projects and adding capabilities to the DoD while supporting overarching the overarching goal of advancing AI in, in DoD.
3: So, it, it, But it sounds like, it, from what you kind of explained to me, it's still, at the heart, you're still going to be focused on some of those scrappy uh, projects and challenges from across the Department of Defense.
2: Yes. So we, we will still continue to be the, the rapid response element, you know, the, the SWAT team that comes in to um, solve a crisis with the the goal of of taking the technology and the tools that we stood up very quickly and transitioning them to to the broader DOD. So the the ethos of the team doesn't go away. Um, At the same time, there's an opportunity to take the sort of spirit of DDS and the technology that we've built, the talent that we've hired and use CDAO, from my perspective, as a, a vehicle to proliferate some of those best practices. Um, you know, we do leverage a, a very modern tech stack. For example, we hire some of the best talent in the country um, and allow them to live you know, wherever they'd like in the U.S. Um, you know, we, we also um, think about how to, to um, engage better with vendors and, and holding vendors more accountable to, um, you know, to, to performing and delivering in the way that we need. So those are all things that are, are part of the DDS ethos and perspective that we want to use the CDAO as as an opportunity to proliferate.
3: So another topic that my mind always comes back to when I think about uh, the the legacy defense digital service or now the director of digital services uh, would be cybersecurity and the pen testing and the work you've done historically with bug bounties and hack the Pentagon. So uh, I, I'd love to hear more about how your organization's continuing to focus on cybersecurity, uh, especially in this new model as um, topics like zero trust and others become so important in the current government environment.
2: Mm-hmm. So we're taking a, a I would say, three part approach to how we're thinking about cybersecurity in this new construct. So one is because we are part of this larger organization, we want to be a good citizen and bring the best that we've learned from years of doing cybersecurity and building modern products to our sort of sister components. So, for example, partnering with warfighting capabilities, partnering with enterprise capabilities, and to the extent that they are building and creating software, we want to lend our cybersecurity experts um, both in the, the assessment of those products and the remediation and the auditing of those products. Um, so we'll, you know, again, it's an opportunity to think about how what we've done in DDS can proliferate to other organizations. So that's one part. The second part, and you know, to the to the point about um, hack the Pentagon and the legacy, we have been running that program for seven, eight years at this point. And it's time to think about a self-serve model. And um, DDS has been running a number of these assessments giving it to an organization to then you know, take a look at the assessments and do the remediation. And we really want to you know, start to take DDS out of the middle. These assessments have become really turnkey. You know, we've, we've done dozens of, of cybersecurity assessments and would love for you know, the services, PSAs, etc., to be able to take the, the contracting and acquisition model that we've built Uh, the relationships with the um, with the ethical researcher community and contract with them directly and sort of take responsibility for um, for monitoring their assets. So there's a productization approach that we're taking to the legacy of hack the Pentagon to make sure that you know it doesn't just live with PBS but that we're again proliferating this throughout the DOD. The third part you know that said I think there are new avenues that we haven't explored with regard to um, cybersecurity assessments. So, you know, thinking about um, leveraging cleared researchers, so researchers with a security clearance to look at, you know, high side or classified assets. Um, you know, we would love to do that. We're also looking at more uh, operational technology, so microgrids grids and, and some of these other big, uh, you know, building systems. So there's an opportunity for us, even as we productize at the Pentagon and, and the, the kind of you know bread and butter assessments, thinking about the new types of assessments where no one has done an assessment before and thinking about how to really push the envelope.
3: So Katie, you spoke earlier this year at our IT Modernization Summit on some of the work that uh, DDS has or did during the Afghanistan withdrawal And I'm curious, you know, if you could explain a little bit about that story and what IT modernization exactly has to do with Afghanistan and and getting people out of a war zone.
2: Well, modernization shouldn't just be digitizing a current process that's bad. And when we think about modernization, we should be thinking about how to fundamentally explore and perhaps change the reason a problem exists in the first place. And you know what a new process might look might look like in the future. So it's it's an opportunity to do that. So when I think about you know, the Afghanistan withdrawal and our role within that, that was a really good example of you know, the need to improve the customer experience by understanding what the initial problem was um, and matching it with the right solution. So in that case, uh, you know the, our primary effort under um, the Afghanistan withdrawal was. Project Rabbit, uh, which was helping match um, Afghan refugees who were applying for asylum status in the U.S. with their employer to verify you know, the, that they had, in fact, worked for you know, the U.S. And, and allies during the conflict. And when the, the problem was initially presented to us, um, it was stated that the way to solve this problem would be to find and locate 20 years' worth of contractor um, records from you know across the DoD and other federal agencies and digitize them. That was a you know problematic, and I, I see this. I've seen this many times in in my career, um, where an organization you know, feels like they might understand the problem, and oftentimes they think it starts with digitizing all the data at once, but. The actual problem was not that we needed we needed everybody who had ever worked for us digitized. The actual problem was when someone is in the queue, someone has come forward and said, you know, I, I want asylum status in the US, how do we trace them back to their employer? And so we built Project Rabbit, which is a digital digital portal or digital pipeline that uh, pings the the employer directly and says, you know, "Did this person work for you?" And that's a lot faster and a lot more expeditious than you know starting with this idea that we would have to spend all of this time digitizing people and records who you know, frankly, might never come forward and, and seek the status. So, to me, it's a great example of of why design thinking and designing for the right problem and, and meeting with the users and you know being really thoughtful about. The, you know, the right solution and the right problem is, is so important.
0: I think
3: it's also a tremendous example of the, the range of work that DDS does. You know, you can look yeah. at cybersecurity, but also doing things on the front lines, which, which is incredibly interesting. And, and on that note, you know, as we close out, I'd love to hear, are there any new projects or anything that you're most excited about for DDS or what's next that you can sort of preview for our listeners?
2: There's a couple of projects that I'm, I'm really excited about this summer. So. One is DEFCON, and um, this is the 30th year of, of DEFCON, and, and GDS has been a partner um, for many years. So we are going to be bringing two events. We're going to continue the work that we've done um, with satellites, uh, but we're also expanding and uh, and to you know, our cybersecurity roots, um, bringing in an assessment of a microgrid. So the the two problems we'll be um, will be bringing include, you know, how we how we look and understand operational technology, you know, microgrids and the the vulnerabilities in cybersecurity that we should be thinking about, particularly as, you know, DOD facilities, DOD bases look to incorporate that type of technology. And then the second part, you know, expanding on the the work we've done in the past at DEF CON with regard to satellites and thinking about satellite eavesdropping and, and how there's, you know, real vulnerabilities we should be concerned about there. So we'll be expanding on those problem sets and engaging with research at, at, DEF CON this summer. Um, so really looking forward to, to that. Um, you know, the, the second problem I would say is, you know, as I mentioned, uh, productizing has the Pentagon proliferating that out across the DOD by packaging up, you know, seven, eight years worth of best practices and you know, making more of a self-serve model so that more people can, can leverage the work that we've done. Um, the third thing I'll say is, you know, we, we have often, um, you know, we've been a leader for a long time in terms of talent. And oftentimes when I talk about that, I'm talking about the private sector talent that we recruit, which is core to the DDS model, you know, private sector industry, people who come in for, you know, two to four years and and bring the latest and greatest in, in technology. We also have a really robust detail program. So people who come from the services for anywhere from six months to two years, um, they're coming from Army, Navy, you know, Air Force, NSA. And the idea is that you know, they embed with our team both as professional development experience for them, but also so that our private sector citizens um, who are coming in and serving those two years but might not have a lot of Pentagon experience are getting the institutional knowledge from them. So we're going to be spending a lot of time this summer thinking through the, the revamp of that program and how to expand that. Uh, so we, we continue this really valuable liaison model. So those are the three projects that in particular I'm, I'm really excited about this summer.
0: Katie Savage, now the Director of Digital Services inside the CDAO office at the Defense Department with my Defense Scoop colleague, Billy Mitchell. You can read more about the transition at the Office of the Chief Digital and Artificial Intelligence Officer in today's show notes at defensescooppodcast.com. The Secretary of the Air Force will lead a group of his services officials this week to promote next-generation air dominance. John Harper's Managing Editor for Defense Scoop, Mark Pomerleau and Brandy Vincent are reporters for Defense Scoop. Welcome all to our first-ever Defense Scoop Podcast Reporters Roundtable. John, I start with you. What's the significance in your view that Frank and a number of other leaders from the Air Force are talking up next-gen air dominance this week?
4: Well, this is a a major modernization initiative for the Air Force. Um, And essentially their plan is to create uh, a new stealth fighter that they can marry up uh, with various uh, unmanned systems, sometimes called robotic wingmen. I'm curious to see if uh, he's gonna be talking about loitering munitions. Um, That's something that uh, we just learned that the Air Force their big safari office created a new loitering munition called Phoenix Ghost that they're going to be sending over to the Ukrainians to help them fight the Russians. So I'm curious if that's going to be a topic. Um, And then later in the week, uh, Air Force folks are going to be talking about sort of uh, how software fits in to next-gen air dominance. Uh, You know, that's going to be a key aspect of upgrading some of these systems, uh, you know, rather than just continuing to build completely new platforms, you can give these new uh, systems more capabilities with, with software upgrades. Um, and that's happening on Thursday. So it's definitely something I'm planning to tune into.
0: Is there a significance, do you think, in the fact that there are so many Air Force technology people out there this week? Or is that kind of the normal cadence for this sort of activity and, and kind of promotion of the work that they're doing,
4: John? Um, I don't know that um, you know this particular week um, y- you know has a special significance in that regard, but certainly we've seen you know since the uh, 2023 budget request rollout, you know officials have been going around town at think tanks, uh, you know up to Capitol Hill and doing other media engagements um, to talk about modernization priorities um, and you know their uh, the fiscal priorities and how they want to marry up the money um, that they'll be receiving with uh, uh, the new technologies and uh, other capabilities that they're working on. So I think this is kind of part of that uh, broader trend that we've been seeing.
0: Brandy, uh, welcome to the team and it's great to have you on the program. What are you following this week what's, what's, and what's significant about what you're following in your view?
5: Thank you so much for having me, Francis. I'm really excited to get this podcast off the ground and running. This week, I am paying close attention to the Pentagon's new Chief Digital and AI office. Last week, I broke some news that they finally hired um, the first Chief of Responsible Artificial Intelligence, Within that office, I'm looking forward to getting some more details about where they stand with their implementation plan on ethical principles um, and a lot of uh, information around exactly how this new office is going to be structured. There's been some reporting that um, the Jake the Defense Digital Service and the Chief Data Office won't exist as they did before. So we're looking forward to some information from that office this week about how that's going to play out. And then next week, um, the office is going to host its uh, annual AI symposium, but this year it's the Digital and AI Symposium hosted by the CDAO, not just the JAIC. Um, And so excited to hear about what Artificial intelligence and other sort of digital development capabilities they're chasing there.
0: Well, that's happening at a time of transition for the Jake, too, because it's not just that it's merging into the CDAO office, it's getting a new leader, too.
5: Yeah, it is. There's a lot of changes happening there. Um, and I expect that we'll likely um, hear about even potentially some more other officials within that office.
0: Mark, welcome what's on your radar screen for the week?
6: Sure. Thanks, Francis. I'd like to kind of go back to last week in terms of some um, personnel shakeups within the Air Force's cyber uh, enterprise um, in terms of where that leadership is headed going forward. Um, Last week, we saw Major General Leah Lauderback, who's currently the Deputy Chief of Space Operations for Intelligence at the Space Force. She was selected to be now the Deputy Chief of Staff for Intelligence, Surveillance, Reconnaissance, and Cyber Effects within the Air Force. Now, that office is really kind of the administrative and policy body that oversees a lot of the workforce issues, concepts, training, platforms, and tools. Um, Now, 16th Air Force, which is responsible for the operational warfighting uh, issues, uh, they're also getting a new commander, Major General Kevin Kennedy. Uh, he's coming from uh, US Cyber Command, where he was the director of operations there. Uh, now he's actually replacing Lieutenant General Tim Hawke, who was uh, last week confirmed as the number two at US Cyber Command. Uh, a lot of folks believe that he's probably the likely successor to general nakasoni who currently had cybercom and the national security agency so uh, a lot of interesting personnel shakeups there and we'll see uh, how they uh, what their influence is like on the air force and, and joint cyber enterprise going forward
0: what is general nakasoni's timeline it escapes me at the moment but he's been the commander of cyber command and nsa for a number of years now is he in a position where his Uh, tour of duty could end sometime soon
6: sure so uh this past month was his fourth year in, in the job uh there's been some reporting that he's actually been asked to stay on a fifth year typically these combatant command tours are about four years but um he's been asked to stay on for an additional year now it's it's a little bit ambiguous as to why potentially um, but this will allow uh, Lieutenant General Hawk to kind of get some time in the job uh, for a little bit until maybe he's ready to step into that role. Again, um, not clear who will be General Nakasoni's successor, but a lot of the rumor mill surrounds uh, General Hawk for the time being.
0: You can read more about all these stories and see the coverage throughout the coming week with the links in today's show notes at defensescooppodcast.com. The Defense Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every week on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or wherever else you get your shows and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Defense Scoop podcast, leave us a five star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Defense Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every week, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Defense Scoop Podcast returns next Wednesday with the Chief Information Officer of the Air Force, Lauren Nausenberger.
1: Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks very much for listening.